Welcome to the Tech in Shanghai podcast, the pearl of the Orient. Shanghai is the city of the future. All systems go full steam ahead. It never stops. Technology, innovation, ambition. It's everywhere. Join us as we explore this new world and talk to the people making it happen. The Tech in Shanghai podcast. The future is now. We are back. This is the Tech in Shanghai podcast, the podcast bringing you the people and experiences for on the ground uh, in Shanghai. I am your host John Vallis, and uh, I'm a little nervous today. We've got a, a legitimate celebrity in the house joining us today for a discussion, uh, Jenny Zhu. She is the voice of Chinese Pod. If any of you guys out there have ever engaged in that uh, great landing, uh, language learning resource, you'll know Jenny's voice very, very well. And she's also the co-founder of Open Language, a, a fairly new language learning resource, which I'm sure we'll get into in the show,、um, covering not only Chinese but a number of different languages. And it's a very, very exciting initiative. And、uh, I'll get Jenny to tell us all about it throughout the course of the show. But Jenny, first of all, thank you very much for coming on. I know you're very, very busy, so thanks for coming on the show. Well, you're welcome. It's my pleasure. So Jenny, you've—I mean—you've been doing this for how many years now with with Chinese Pod?、Uh, nine years now. Wow, it's so long. Yes. <laughs> so many things must have changed in Shanghai over nine years. I mean, I can't even imagine. I, I came here the first time in two thousand nine. But nine years, and and you're from Shanghai originally, right? Yes, I'm from Shanghai,、uh, but I went to high school in Singapore and、uh, later. Um, university in Australia, so、um, I had studied、um, overseas for a total of around nine years, and after graduating from college in Australia,、um, I came back to Shanghai and started to find work. And Chinese Pod was my first job, and has pretty much been sort of the only. <laughs> Main job I've had、um, up to this point. That's awesome. Not、yeah. not many people hit it hit the nail right on the head. The first job coming out of university. You know, a lot of times it you have to find your feet and you you、mm. go from job to job. You don't really like it, but you came right out of school. You found what you liked, and you've obviously done an incredible job at doing it. Thank you very much, and I feel really lucky, extremely lucky in that regard because.、Um, I studied、uh, international relations in university, and it wasn't something you know. It had it wasn't something that had a very clear job prospect for.、Right. Besides, I guess you know, working embassies or consulates. So after coming back to Shanghai, I went through a period of time of、uh, just trying to figure out what I wanted to do and what skills I had, and I had actually. Done a course in simultaneous interpretation, and I was、um, working as a freelance translator interpreter in Shanghai.、Um, I've always loved、um, learning English, and also I was rubbish at math. <laughs> so, <laughs> you, you and me both. <laughs> I'm not alone here. So I wanted to do something that just utilized my my language skills and would allow me to to share my experience.、Um, so funny,、uh, in a very funny way, I didn't do it. Through teaching English to Chinese, the the chance presented itself as teaching chi- Chinese to foreigners,、mm-hmm. which you know I think all things have a funny way of working out eventually. And you know, 
I still remember I went for the job interview, and the address of the office said,、um, you know, in the Xintiandi area. And I thought, wow, this is like so high end, <laughs> so plush. But then,、uh, as I actually went to the place, it's in a little back alley. <laughs> one, one of those yet to be developed areas. Of exactly.、Yeah. And now we'll call that, you know, a converted like a Xijiaobao、sure. Red Town in Shanghai. But back then, it was. Really, a factory. It wasn't even converted. The factory, I guess, just ran out of money and started to. They decided to rent out space. <laughs> and for and for those listening, Xintiandi now is like a very trendy restaurants and high end shops、oh, exactly. area of Shanghai,、yeah. right? But、yes. even nine years ago was it, so some of it was still kind of like that, or was、yeah. just beginning. Nine years ago, it had started. You know, the area was already uh, uh, posh, but.、Uh, Five minutes away from the posh stuff. It was the complete still, opposite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> still, you know, old lane houses and、um, textile factories,、right. which was、uh, where the first Chinese pot、uh, office was. It's, at. it's one of those amazing things about Shanghai, the city, is the juxtaposition of two totally different things right next to each、mm. other. I mean, you can still see it, although less often now. But you'll see. An amazing high rise, or an amazing mall, or amazing whatever, brand new, sparkling, and literally attached to it, right next to it. The other side of the brick wall is, you know, something that could have been there 20 years ago. You know, like <laughs>、yes. a, a pile of bricks, and、uh, maybe it's a dumpling shop, or who yeah, knows? Yeah, you know? yeah. And I think that's what makes the city kind of still really. It has a lot of character because it's not just all, you know, all luxury, all brand new. It still has that like. Kind of contrast, you know.、Mm, and I grew up here, so you know that kind of juxtaposition represents what Shanghai is to me.、Right. Um, it's developing so fast; it's so fast-paced and full of opportunities. Yet it still has these nuggets of、um, it. It's still it. It feels like home to me, you know. Sure, sure. Yeah. There's so many things I want to discuss with you, Jenny. But I just have to say first, it's so. It's such an odd thing to have you in my ear now as a as a guest on the show because <laughs> I've had your your voice in my ear so many times times using a Chinese pod in the past, and、uh, I mean I, when I opened the show I said that I'm with you know a, a legitimate celebrity and you know that's that's true right I mean how many I think it's something like three hundred thousand followers on on Chinese pod that 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 you've had is that correct? Um. So over the years, if you If we、uh, count by registered users, it's、mm-hmm. uh, almost a million. Wow!、Um, over the past ten years, what, do, what do you like?、Mm. Does, how does that make you feel? You've been in a million people's ears. It makes me feel、uh, that I. This is. There's nothing I would rather do in the world than going to studio every week and be able to、um, help people learn Chinese and. Over the years, you know, I've had the the chance to meet a lot of our、uh, users,、mm-hmm. who、um, either you know virtually online when when they comment on lessons or reach out to me, or、uh, we actually get a fair number of visitors every year. People who who come to Shanghai for work on business trip or just on personal trips,、uh, who make. The extra effort of、uh, coming to our office and say hi to us,、um, and just last week a user from Boston stopped by, and I guess I've you know, here and there leaked information. I have a son who really loves cars and trains, so she bought a little、um, like a 
Boston Railway little mm-hmm. um, toy like a, like train, an old, old railway car yeah, sort yeah. of thing. Yeah, and she said, "Well, I thought your son would enjoy this." That's amazing. And it just makes me feel, you know, it, it's such an honor and privilege to be welcomed into people's lives sure. like this. Sure, it must yeah. it must be so rewarding, especially for those again, like you said, that that do come to you or let you know online that. You know, you've had you've really helped them develop their language skills, and as a result, they got the job, or they got the wife, the girlfriend, or boyfriend, or or whatever. Yeah, you know, it's amazing. Because I think, um, you know, learning languages is it's not easy, but um, if you are persistent enough and uh, sometimes lucky enough to have found different resources and different methods that help you, it could be such a rewarding and empowering experience. Sure. Um, looking at my own life, for example, and many others' um, lives, I, I, you know, le- learning language just gives you so many professional as well as personal opportunities. Just like you said, it it might be a new job, or very often it's uh, you you married someone, sure. <laughs> right, and yeah. then have wonderful kids, and yeah, it's just it. It's a very transformative experience. It is. It's an amazing thing. I was living in Japan when I was a teenager for mm. a, for a year of high school, oh. and uh, I remember going to the like the language center where foreigners would go to learn languages. Yeah. And I met this. I remember this very like m- memorable moment where I met this Egyptian lady, and we were both kind of intermediate in our in our Japanese, uh, which don't test me. It's since gone way down, <laughs> but. Um, she she couldn't speak any English, and of course I couldn't speak any Egyptian. But we were able to communicate at a a, a basic level, but a conversational mm. level in 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 Japanese, which was both uh, a foreign language yeah. for us. And it's 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 cool. It's like one of those weird experiences where I don't know. You're able to share something with someone because of this medium of language that n- neither of you are that familiar with, and you're both kind of a little uneasy with it, but yeah. you're still able to connect in some in some way. Exactly. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a interesting phenomenon, and obviously you've facilitated that so many times. I mean, have you ever thought about being in a million people's heads? I mean, I mean, mm-hmm. can you? How do, how, do, how do you wrap your head around that? Well, um, for me, it's it's just you know, I think after I realized how how much I enjoy doing what I do I've um you know I said you know I want to be just creating content engaging content that tells people not only about the language they're learning but also helps them to understand that culture that society mm-hmm. uh because I think China is still uh, you know it many people see it as a distant monolith right it mm-hmm. went from being behind the iron curtain to uh you know just a place that maybe uh everyone seems the same with an authoritarian government right mm-hmm. you you know it conjures up images of censorship there's a lot of challenges right. about china but at the same time there's so much glory, liveliness, and just real human life struggles and stories about China. Sure. I mean, and it's an amazingly rich culture now and, of course, has an amazingly rich history. Yeah, and I think the uh, format of Chinese pod, I've always seen it more as a content 
a business rather than just an educational resource. Right. You know, we publish a new lesson every day, and I often get asked, do you need so many, you know, now we have around 3,000 lessons. Do you need so many lessons to, to learn Chinese? And, and people ask us, do you run out of lesson ideas? But you don't really run out of ideas because language is evolving, right? right? right. It evolves with the changes in our lives. So, you know, if you look at what we're doing at Chinese Pod lately for lessons, we're talking about the World Cup, we're talking about Alibaba filing for IPO, and I just feel it's so cool to be able to share these aspects of of China to an audience who's interested in it. Totally. And and as you know, probably better than anybody, a huge part of learning a language is also understanding the culture to some degree. Again, mm. to go back to the, the, the Japanese example, I remember when I first arrived, I was so frustrated at many of the different like quirkiness, uh, quirky, like little quirky things about yeah. the people there. And I, I got really frustrated about it. Only when I started learning the language could I view those things in a different way, you know? Yeah. So you get a pretty strong cultural understanding that comes with the language. And I think that's been part of the way that you educate is you're putting it in that cultural context. And mm. like like you said, if people ask, you know, don't you think there's enough lessons now or, or whatever? No, because the culture and what's happening here in China is, like you said, constantly evolving. And as part of a, a program of education and of content, it's all it has to constantly be updated to reflect those changes, right? And that yeah. evolution. And I feel like if you look at language learning in general, not just uh, you know Chinese instruction, language learning has always been kind of disembodied from real life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you you study content in a very prescribed way, right? It's the f- first <laughs> it follows. Uh, a uh, certain sequence and scope, mm-hmm. but that's not how real language learning or how you know real language is used mm-hmm. in real life. In real life, it's a lot more. Uh, it depends a lot more on your personal situation. It's a lot more serendipitous. It's a lot more. Uh, it just needs to have different pathways sure. for for people to access it. And my passion has really been about how do we create content that's not disembodied from real life, that mm-hmm. actually inspires people, that actually mirrors their personal and professional interests and goals. Sure. Yeah. Now, do you, do you feel that as you go along, I mean, you've, you've been doing this for nine years now, are you refining the way that you deliver that, mm. that story, that education, that, that whole you know, content package? Are you constantly refining and, and delivering it in different ways, do you think? Yeah, definitely, because... Um, you know, back in 2005, podcasting was new and hot, right? Mm-hmm. And everyone was exploring how do we use podcasts to to reach people, mm-hmm. to get on their iPods and get into their lives. Um, but over the years now, you know, everyone is looking at mobile, mobile data. Uh, but I feel like um, some things are constant. And for language learning, the learners really just need a few things to succeed. They need um, the content itself or what language teachers call learning input. Mm -hmm. So if you're learning Chinese or if you're learning English, that input might be a Chinese pod lesson. It might 
actually be a conversation with your coworker. It might be a piece of media resource you hear or read. And then um, you need to be able to make sense of it. You need to break it down. You need to study it, um, whether it's with a teacher or uh, you're learning a uh, you're learning from a resource that helps you do it. And then you need to practice it. You need to be able to use it by speaking it with people in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you need someone to give you corrective feedback, um, whether it's a teacher, a friend, or a coworker. Um, so. I really believe these four elements are a core um, to the success of learning any languages. And uh, no matter how the underlying technology changes, whether um, you know you deliver it through RSS feed, mm-hmm. which, God forbid, I still don't know how to configure properly <laughs> most of the time, <laughs> or you know you do it through an app uh, or some other technology. Um, the, the core pieces pretty much stay the same. Right. And I've always viewed technology as, you know, underlying plumbing. Um, I, as a learner myself, for example, I really don't want to be worrying about what technology I should use. Mm-hmm. I just want to be able to get, you know, get access to that content and to, you know, to be able to study it in, in a way that's the most convenient and um, accessible to me. Sure. Yeah. So I want to explore that a bit more because I think there's a good segue there into open language. But first, we were starting on on your kind of story when you started with Chinese Pod. You went down to Xintiandi and to the the location there. You knocked on the door. It was probably a little less uh, polished than you had expected. Mm. Can you can you kind of bring us up to? I know it's a lot of time to work with, but can you kind of run through kind of how that, that that whole story went down? I mean now. You've done so many of these podcasts. You you know you're totally comfortable in front of a microphone and talking about all these things. But were, was it always the case? Did you, when when you started, was it a little bit of foreign territory for you? Yeah, definitely. When I started China, uh, working at Chinese Pod, I had never had any teaching or um, radio experience. But I was very lucky that um, my co-host and in many ways my um, studio mentor was a guy called Ken Carroll, who um, you know co-hosted uh, almost a thousand Chinese pod lessons with me. Um, Ken was a very experienced English teacher in Shanghai, and he had a, a chain of very successful English learning schools called oh. Kaien. Okay. And he's just a brilliant communicator. Um, he makes students feel like he's talking to you mm-hmm. <laughs> and just you. And he does it in such an incredibly uh, engaging, humorous, but always relevant way. Mm-hmm. He never gets too carried away with the entertainment value and forget that we're here to teach language right. and not the other way around. Sure. So he, he has this perfect balance. And I think he just had, he's one of those people who really had it, you know, born born with them. They had the desire to, to be um, in front of a microphone and just share with people. So I learned, um, you know, most of what I learned in the beginning, I learned from him. And when you, you know, after many years and now that I have to hire and train new hosts, I feel, wow, if there 
is someone like that to coach through a, a new person, and then it makes the process so much easier sure. and enjoyable for for the the new person.、Mm-hmm. So I was lucky enough to be yeah to to be there with him. <laughs> and I have to ask you a question. So、mm-hmm. you. I'm sure he helped onboard you and and kind of、mm. took you by the hand and got, and eased your way into this thing that was totally foreign to you. What did you think about your voice the first time you heard it on, like your recorded voice? T- please tell me. <laughs> please tell me you didn't <laughs> like it. Cringed. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, oh my god. <laughs> I know, right? Why? And, and I, I've I mean, now having done the podcast and speaking with other people, kind of in in loosely termed broadcasting、uh, space. They tell me it's natural. They tell me everybody hates the sound of their their recorded voice. Yeah, it doesn't really sound the way it sounds in your head, or when you hear it, or something. And I constantly and still to this day I'll go, oh, why did I say that? That's dumb.、Yeah. <laughs> why did I pause there? You know, <laughs> but、um, it's something even.、Uh, It's something you know. In my personal case, for maybe two or three months, I didn't even lis- want to listen to my own recording. But then I realized, if I didn't listen to it. I never would get better because I wouldn't be aware of how how much I needed to improve. So、mm-hmm. you, I really needed to force myself to sit through listening to my own recordings. And then after a while, you know, if you find you actually like listening to your own stuff,、uh, <laughs> maybe for narcissistic reasons, <laughs> but also for the purpose of you know trying to get better, then I feel like you, you know.、Um, You are designed for this role. <laughs> and it, do you listen to your own things now? Yeah, I listen to it every day.、Uh, when I, you know, all of my recordings, I, I listen to it. So you finish a、day. recording and then have a listen. And, yeah, yeah, because、yeah. I,、um, I, I really feel like that's an important way of helping you get better. Yeah. So I, I listen to my own work, and then I'm a.、Uh, I listen to there are a bunch of other podcasts I, I really love. Cool.、Yeah. Cool. Any pointers? I mean, what what kind of things do you do? Things with your voice, the things you look out for, the way one, you pause. Yeah, one big one for me is the、uh, the energy level and the flow.、Mm-hmm. Um, I I soon realized that if you carry the same kind of energy level、um, outside the studio, in the studio, for some reason you just sound very lethargic. You just sound very tired. It almost like you need to put on your, you know, your、um, show hat <laughs> and and、uh, like have a bottle of Red Bull and say, "No, I'm recording," and I have a studio persona. You get, you need to get your energy level up high,、right. and that's why initially when we did the the podcasts, we would always stand and do it because、uh, when you stand, it sort of makes you more alert. And、sure. it helps you raise your energy level. Right. And if you feel you're kind of overdoing it, but when you actually listen to it, listen to it back, it it sounds natural. Makes it, <laughs> it makes it more engaging、good. and kind of makes people want to listen a lot. Yeah,、right? energetic yeah. and enthusiastic. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So you you started with Chinese Pod, and things have been going,、uh, you know. Obviously, very well since the time that you joined.、Mm. Um, what are some of the highlights over the past nine years with with Chinese Pod that you know really stood out in your mind? Maybe there was something, an experience that you didn't expect to have, or you know, really great successes here or in your personal life with with Chinese Pod. Can you go through a couple of those?、Uh, one thing that that's always my favorite 
story to tell was in 2007. So that's uh, around two years after we started Chinese Pod. Uh, I got an email. Uh, it's inviting me to be a guest speaker at a big conf learning conference in the United States. Right. But the person who wrote me the email said, uh, my name is this, and I am the chief learning officer for the the CIA, and it's DCIA, <laughs> the Central Intelligence right, Agency, right. in the United States. And you know, I when I got this email, I still remembered. I, I showed it to um, the founders of the company, and I said, "Oh, could this be scam or is it real?" <sighs> and they said, "We don't know. Maybe you just write back <laughs> and see." So I did, and it turned out uh, the the person who was inviting me was an avid Chinese pot user. And uh, he really was the chief learning officer wow. for the CIA. And uh, then I went to Orlando, uh, Florida, for a big learning conference, uh, Learning 2007. They have it every year. So this year it would be, you know, Learning 2014. Sure. And I was invited to go up on the stage to introduce what we do with Chinese instruction and do this short bit of, uh, you know, we tried to teach the 3,000 live audience in the conference room a short phrase in Chinese. So the conference uh, organizer asked me, what do you want to teach? And I said, hmm, they're American, so they must like cold beer. <laughs> Let me do that. And <laughs> kindly, they found some uh, Qingdao beer <laughs> there. So I, I taught the audience how to order a glass of cold Qingdao beer in Chinese. Oh, yeah. and did they... Did it go so that did they all repeat in unison yeah, yeah. after you taught them? <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, and they, they did all right? Yes, they did very well. Oh. So that was always a, a lovely story to me. And then um, the uh, I, I became very good personal friends with uh, with Jonathan who invited me, um, the CIA guy and also Elliot who organized the conference and is a very uh, respected um learning figure in, in the United States. Wow, that's a yeah. great experience. And I, I actually saw, I, th I think I saw uh, online that um, another speaker at the same conference was Colin Powell. Oh, that was the same conference, but two years ago. Oh, yeah, okay. so okay. Elliot kindly invited me back and uh, Colin Powell is the big marquee name wow. speaker there. Did you yeah. get a chance to meet him? Yes, uh, well, for five seconds, <laughs> <Handshake>. <laughs> had a, yeah, I had a, had a photo taken with right. him. But it's just yeah, one of those really surreal experiences, sure. and yeah, and there are so many experiences, maybe not as you know dramatic, but it's up to this day that the highlights have always been being able to meet people in person, mm -hmm. um, and just seeing how. Uh, we've helped them learn Chinese and enjoy the process a little bit more. It's yeah. a cool thing with, with media in general, but obviously you mentioned in 2005 or 2006, podcasts were you know just coming on the scene and mm. you know traditional media had begun to get a little bit shaken up and you know it's fairly strongly ingrained, so it may not be going anywhere anytime soon. but at this stage, you know podcasts and, and other forms of media are widely available and 
pretty much everyone can be their own content provider, yes. whether it's Facebook or Twitter or a podcast, and at relatively low low cost. So, but uh, you know, you engaged in it, and it's become such a popular thing, and your your audience has been so big. I, can, I guess I'm asking, what's it like to, you know, to be at the involved or at the helm of of a media that has such broad reach like that? I mean, I know it. We've talked about the impact it can have when people let you know that you've, you know, you've really had an impact on their lives. But, I mean, does it feel powerful in some way? Do you get like a, I mean, because because it, it's a form of media and you, mm. you have a, a really broad broad reach. So, what, what's it like being kind of at at the helm of that? Um, I think it just on a very personal level. It, uh, you know, we record once a week uh, at Chinese Pod, and we'll do. Um, so four or five lessons um, for the following week, right. and any given time that recording day is the highlight of my week. Uh, it just makes me so fulfilled and happy being able to you know have an audience and share with them um, the the kind of Chinese as it's spoken today now mm. and being able to help people put a human face to China mm. um, understand a little bit better uh, what China is, is about and I also feel like uh, yeah maybe that aspect of having an audience is uh, it's so <laughs> powerful right. and it makes me feel very privileged um, even though like you said um, it's a uh, you know user generated content and it, it's relatively a low barrier mm-hmm. to entry to to be your own content creator uh, i i do feel uh, in order to do something properly it, it's a team effort oh, yeah. um, sure. and to be able to do it consistently uh, and have kind of a longevity it, it's uh, really not easy sure. so I mean, the, uh, when when I say that, I mean the like the media, the form of media is relatively low cost en- or low barrier to mm. entry. But f- of course, you know, putting it together in the way Chinese Pod has and all the work that goes into that, very difficult, I'm sure. Yeah, and we've been very very lucky to have um, you know had just very very talented team members mm-hmm. to uh, uh, on on our team and also. You know, it all goes back to the the listeners, the users, without whom <laughs> this thing couldn't have lasted totally. for for so long. So yeah, I just um, I feel really really lucky to have an audience, and in many ways, um, you know, my my family sort of background also uh, comes in because my dad he uh, ran a record publishing company, ah. so I sort of grew up in a entertainment family sure and sometimes you would talk about things at work um you know the uh deals they trying to sign with artists and stuff and he's a lot of <laughs> what he said was oh this person is hell to manage <laughs> the singer the celebrity and he would always say to me you know when you're popular you sometimes these people get so bloated and they have such a big ego and then once they don't have that audience uh, it's it's really hard for them to adjust to adjust yeah and so he's always saying to me you know having a stage and an audience 
it's so transient.、Mm-hmm. And if you have it, you should count yourself as very lucky, and you should work very, very hard to preserve it. And I think that has had such strong influence. On my professional development,、mm. um, you know, I just considered the the whole thing to be such a privilege, and I work really hard and consciously to to preserve it because,、um, yeah, it it's not easy. Yeah, <laughs> and you value it so much. Do you think? I mean, through this medium of a of a microphone and and the audience listening in their headphones or on speakers or whatever, do you think? Because anytime you want to maintain an audience, there's various components that go into、mm-hmm. it, right? The quality of your content has to be there for sure. It has to be engaging and somewhat entertaining. Do you think、uh, the audience can recognize your sincerity in your approach to these things? I mean, rather than just being someone who, you know, pro- provides great content and makes it entertaining, do you think, in whatever way, I mean, in, in the way that you deliver that, in your tone, in your energy, in in your consistency, whatever it is. Do you think the audience can, you know? Do you think you maintain an audience partially because they can sense that sincerity, they can hear it, they can whatever? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> And、uh, you know, being an avid podcast listener myself,、uh, one of two of my favorite podcasts are probably、um, On Point with Tom Ashbrook.、Mm-hmm. Um, so he is. It started as a radio show, but、um, they distributed、uh, through iTunes now,、um, and it's affiliated with uh, NPR. Um, and he does it every day, and it's amazing because、um, it's like a, a TV magazine show, like sixty minutes. But they don't do it once a week; they do it daily. And the topics range.、Um, it's usually topics that are current, that are、uh, what people are talking about and care about,、yeah. and Yeah, you just can feel that he, he really wants to be there. Right. You know, no matter what the topic is, he is either personally very interested, invested in it, or he's learning so much about this new topic,、mm. and you you just feel like he is so engaged in the conversation he's having with his guests. And another podcast I I really love is.、Um, God, what's his name? <laughs> <laughs> it will come back to me, but it's、uh, a univ- a journalist who now I think has a tenured、um, profes- professorship with Brown University,、uh-huh. um, and he does these、uh, sometimes very intensely intellectual conversations. I don't really understand, <laughs> but you just feel like he he. Yeah, he it's, loves it's it so much. It's interesting to be in the presence of someone yeah, like that. And yeah, and his passion、uh, motivates you. <laughs> he transports you. Right. Yeah. And it's. I think one of the things I notice for the the different podcasts that I listen to, and for me, sincerity is huge. You know, listening to the people that I listen to and knowing that, you know, the, the, there's not really much of a an ulterior agenda, and even if there is, they're still like being genuinely themselves. You know,、mm. this is how they're going to talk. Um, because it's you know the traditional media form of of radio you know which I grew up on and, and likely yeah, yeah. most people have in some way you know it's it's there's so many doodads and sound bites and the the host is always talking like this and、mm. coming up next and it's just it seems very kind of put together you know very false whereas now that the media is accessible to more people they're able to produce content that. I think people are gravitating towards because of its sincerity. You know, whether、yeah. or not it's a paid-for service or not,、mm. it's you know people get to choose now. There's 
hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there, and people can choose which ones they want to go to. They don't have to tune into one of three radio stations on their local in their city and, and listen to whatever they're putting out, the music, the commercials, and stuff. And I think that's really a really interesting aspect of what's going on with all this new media, Yeah, which I want to get your take on. But before we get going too much further, why don't you tell us a bit about Open Language? Because I know that's a project that you're obviously working on now, mm-hmm. really broadening the, 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 you know, the depth and the scope of what you guys are doing with Chinese pods. So can you tell me, you know, kind of what, what, what's going on with Open Language? Sure. So um, Chinese pod, uh, uh, became very successful in its field, and it's now uh, one of the largest um, paid online Chinese learning services out there. And the company was acquired uh, about two years ago Mm -hmm. by Bigfoot Ventures, which is an investment firm based in in Hong Kong. And after um, selling Chinese pod, you know, I've still, uh, I I said to to, uh, the acquirer that I, I really want to be able to contribute and be involved with it in the long run because mm-hmm. I helped um, build it and I just identify so strongly with it and I I want I wish it all the very best. Um, well, they must have loved to hear that. <laughs> different ownership and they um, you know one of the reasons they bought Chinese Power is because. Um, they also loved what we did. Um, they thought we did world class. Um, Chinese lessons, mm-hmm. and it has helped so many people with their learning, and that's a big reason they bought it. And they also, you know, they have, um, they're also looking at ways that we could expand our audience. For example, we've always done things mostly in audio, but uh, video is such a big component to, to media consumption, to, to learning today, um, but we haven't been able to really produce um a lot of video lessons. Mm-hmm. So after the acquisition and now Bigfoot, um, they're investing heavily in, in this area. Um, so while I am uh, still very involved with um, Chinese pod, um, you know, recording, I still do a lot of recordings. Um, uh, it also you know, gave me an opportunity to do something else. Um, but since I've been in the language learning industry for um, of my professional career, and that's the one thing I I know and I really uh, love, so I thought um, the same approach for Chinese part of um, combining. Yeah, I I'd, I'd like to say it's in edutainment, mm-hmm. engaging. Um, entertaining educational content, creating that edutainment content for language learning and deliver it um, in an accessible and convenient way to help busy people learn languages. Uh, That's what I I really love doing. Um, So uh, that's how I started Open Language Mm -hmm. Um, because uh, when we did Chinese pod, we also uh, did a few other languages. So we had brands like Spanish pod, French pod, and so on. So um, after Chinese pod was acquired, um, the other brands um, we got to keep. And then um, I thought, you know, it had such great content and it would be a shame if uh, nobody maintained it. And so that's why the idea of Open Language was born. Uh, we first seeded the platform with, um, you know, the content from the old Spanish pod, English pod, French pod, and so on. Um, and 
you know, when we started two years ago, uh, mobile apps, uh, you know, mobile just became so dominant, mm-hmm. such a dominant technology. So, uh, you know, we don't really have, we don't even have RSS feed subscription. You, you just do everything through you, uh, the mobile app. That's sure. how learners get their content. Um, so that's what we started with, with open language. But we also were approached by just... Um, people, language teachers, um, schools that were inspired by what we did with Chinese pod and Spanish pod. And they said, um, you know, I'd like to do something for for this language. So we had um, partnerships with uh, a school in, in Jordan who did an Arabic course right. of the language. And we uh, had a partnership with a team in Moscow and they did a uh, Russian product, mm-hmm. and we recently um, helped someone in Ireland <laughs> do an Irish course. Right, and uh, so I, I just feel like, and it's all in a similar, uh, like it's done in a similar way to Chinese yeah. pod. Yeah. So what we do is, uh, you know, we we provide some coaching. Uh, with their curriculum design, with their, uh, you know, when they're putting together the team, mm-hmm. I, um, I'd work with them and um, give them advice on the kind of, uh, for example, hosts uh, you want you want to have on your team, mm-hmm. the kind of sort of the audio style and the format, um, and then uh, help them. Um, produce their own language learning resources on open language. Now, all the, the languages on open language, are they available to the Chinese market? Like, is there, does, is your page translated or are they? Mm. So with open language, we currently uh, have uh, nine, we, we currently teach nine languages, right. including, um, you know, English, Spanish, French, um, but we just launched Portuguese this month, uh, which World coincides Cup. with the World <laughs> Cup, and it's a great project that we uh, joined forces with uh, UT Austin, University of Texas cool. in Austin, um, and Professor Orlando Kilm, who's one of the most respected Portuguese um, professors in the U.S., uh, spearheaded the project. So, um, you know, with us in terms of uh, market size, uh, splits between um, Chinese who are trying to learn English and then um, other people who, uh, other non-native English speakers who are trying to learn English but mm-hmm. not from China. Mm-hmm. And then um, the other uh, big segment for us are uh, Americans or the North uh, North American market who is trying to learn um Another language, be it Spanish, right. uh, French, uh, Portuguese, and so on. Cool. Yeah. So what, I mean, when Open Language was founded when? Uh, about two years ago. Two years ago. Yeah. So we on this show, we speak with a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of people in the startup community. Do you consider yourself part of that community here in Shanghai now? Oh, definitely. Yeah? Yeah. I've, uh, I, I've been quite, well, not <laughs> very, very involved, but... Uh, you know, quite involved in the local community here, mm-hmm. and it's uh, Shanghai has a really vibrant startup community now, and it's growing. Yeah. It, it seems to be growing really quickly now. I mean, I had a, a friend of mine on uh, last show or two shows ago, uh, and he is an organizer for a number of like community events, like mm. drink abouts and stuff like that. 
And I knew him back in 2009 when I first moved here. And, and he, he was in advertising, nothing to do with tech or anything. I was in finance, nothing to do with startups. And, you know, we, we met randomly at the China Accelerator Demo Day. Mm. And um, it's just funny how people are, are becoming drawn to this community in whatever capacity. You have your entrepreneurs, you have your directors, you have people that want to be in the media side. But it seems like, especially in Shanghai, it's really starting to gather, mm. gather steam now. And it's a very diverse community. You yeah. have expats living here, you have local Chinese, you have Chin overseas returnee Chinese, yeah. and if you go to, I'm sure, the uh, the demo day, the accelerated demo day or uh, uh, a lean startup event um, here, you see a really good mix of people represented here. I want to get your, your take on something, because Shanghai, I know Beijing is like the t traditional tech hub for China, mm. at least till now, but Beijing is such an inconvenient city. It's so big and it's not that entertaining. And we all know about the air. But in Shanghai, it's I mean, there are certain issues that are all, that, you know, that people, <laughs> people don't necessarily like. But, you know, it's a convenient city. It's more cosmopolitan. Like you said, it's much more international, and multicultural. Yeah. And it's, it just seems like it's got all the right elements for a really vibrant startup community here. It's got mm. cool, you know, working spaces and it's got, you know, just pretty much everything. Um, but uh, Tony and I were, were speaking about the difference between the foreign startup community and the Chinese domestic startup community. Mm. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but or actually give me your insight on it. I mean, the foreign community just seems naturally more keen to come together and discuss ideas and to, you know, to, to help each other out and stuff. But of course, you know, the, the language and cultural barrier you know, for me to see the, the, what's going on in the domestic scene, it kind of prohibits me from getting too deep into it. You uh, you represent a very interesting perspective. So, can you can you shed some light on that for us? Well, I feel the what you described with the foreign community, uh, it's pretty much the the Chinese side parallels that, but uh, there isn't enough crossover right, <laughs> right. to what each other is doing. And why do you think that is? I think language is a big issue, mm. and uh, you know, if you look at overseas returnees, Chinese, um, probably like myself, who've gone abroad to study and work, um, and kind of have the linguistic and cultural ability, uh, then uh, we we sort of are <laughs> uh, involved maybe in a bigger capacity in both communities, right? Which, and, is, which is natural. I mean, because the elements are there to. Kind yeah, of have one one foot in either one. Yeah, and actually, um, I feel like there's a lot of interesting and exciting things happening on both sides. Yeah, but uh, not you know, sort of crossed over. Right. And do you think <laughs> that's much. changing? Is it is it coming together a bit as this whole community really starts coming together in Shanghai, or is it still kind of separate? Well, my personal observation is it's still a little bit separate, separate right, yeah right. Um, because I, I think uh, one of the reasons is a lot of the uh, expat um, startup uh, the entrepreneurs here they're maybe designing products and services for the expat and for, for western market markets. here or yeah, for yeah. Uh, you know the western markets right. and whereas the chinese here they are designing for a Chinese market, sure, a domestic sure. market. That, that is, yeah, that's a big consideration. Yeah, they might be doing very similar things, but yeah, just very different markets. And mm. are, do you stay on on top of the kind of tech news and the social media buzz and all that kind of stuff? I'd like to, but 
between sort of two full-time roles and two <laughs> relatively young sons. Yeah, it's hard to find the time. But I, I do, you know, uh, on my Weixin 朋友圈, most, a lot of my friends are in the startup community. So just by looking at the updates or the stories they share, you get, you get a a, feel yeah, for you, you get on. very plugged in it's cool. I with mean, what's going on here. It's, it's cool what's happening with Chinese social media and the kind of bigger internet companies now getting so much attention because of, well, what they're doing, mm. how big they've become, their listing in the U.S. I mean, and, and this has been building for a while, but what's what's your take on it? Because if you, you started off in, in the tech scene here yeah. when it was very young, uh. when, when, you know, a lot of the, the big companies that it exist today and are dominating today, both nationally and even in some cases internationally, some of them weren't even around. Mm. So, you know, you've seen the evolution and, and how things have changed, whether we're talking about, you know, Weibo and WeChat and that sort of stuff, or Alibaba and Taobao, and just the whole, I mean, it's so fascinating, the, the e-commerce and the internet and tech industry in China in general, because if, it, to me, it seems like the consumers went from not having you know, very much access to those sort of media and those sort of uh, things to getting like all the access at once. So e-commerce and social media and all this kind of stuff. What's been your experience having lived through it all? Well, I think this uh, is one of, uh, this just shows how quickly change takes place in China, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> Usually it's uh, leapfrogging. <laughs> you go past a few intermediary stages to go from, you know, like my mom, she uh, she went from not knowing how to, uh, how to send an email to now she's buying everything online. Yeah. She skipped a few steps. Right? Taobao is, is insanely popular. I mean, I'm, if anybody who wants something, you'd almost be foolish not to use it unless you yeah. wanted to, like, you know, do some window shopping. But anytime you want something here, you just, you search it on Taobao and you can be reasonably guaranteed that it's going to arrive in maximum two mm. days. But sometimes I'll order something at night and it'll arrive the next day in the morning. Yeah. It'll be cheaper. It'll be, you know, quality is usually pretty good. Yeah. So in my experience, it's... um. I remember in early 2000, you have a wave of Chinese companies and you know technology companies going to abroad and listed on the Nasdaq. And then, uh, you know, a few years ago, uh, so so much revelations <laughs> about uh, fraud. You know, uh, just right. yeah, uh, unethical behaviors, uh, wrong numbers, and really destroyed confidence mm -hmm. in, in a lot of Chinese companies. And now we're seeing sort of the second wave of Chinese companies going abroad to get listed. But uh, a lot of people say it's different this time. Right. Um, the tech infrastructure is so much better now. The yeah. market is so much uh, bigger now. And it's not, you know, a potential market. It's 400 million active Internet users here with purchasing power. And not, um, not only that, I mean, a huge market. But one, like you said before, where the market leaps leapfrog steps. Mm. I mean, you don't. I, f I feel like in the West, things just m take longer to to be instituted and like for people to become come comfortable with them. Mm. But here, it's like uh, like WeChat or Weixin. They're like, okay, we're gonna do uh, financial products now or, or banking now, and the next month, you know, there's a hundred billion dollars deposited or or you know it, the the. the the onboarding is so quick here. Mm. You know, if Twitter decided, okay, we're going to move into banking, and uh, yeah, so you can you can deposit money with us now. 
the, the growth, I presume, would be quite slow because their users don't see them in that light. It's not a banking institution. It's a social media channel. Whereas here, I, I, I just it just seems like something new comes up and people are really eager to yeah. engage in it and try it. I, um, I don't know if I could generalize it uh, in this way, but I do feel like uh, here people's appetite for trying new things seems to be, you know, really enthusiastic about change it's, and it's ravenous, for sure. about change even you know you look at my parents generation right and they are on their wechat every day yeah and i think it probably has something to do with how china just leapfrogged right. <laughs> so many stages and this has become like a it's part of your being right. that's how that's the pace of change here mm. and sort of people you know it, it conditions you to be more uh, willing to try new things mm. or just accept that this is the new way of doing things yeah yeah, yeah it's, it's really amazing um, so shifting it up a bit now I, I know you've been very gracious with your time I know you got to get back to your work so I usually ask a few questions to guests before they go just to try to get them to give some advice to the people that might be living out uh, listening out there but one of the things I wanted to ask you first, it's a bit of an odd question, but I think given your position and your experience, you might have some insight on. What are a few mistakes that foreign entrepreneurs in China uh, you know, do often in your mind? Like what are, what are things when you see them, you might kind of cringe or you might think that it's kind of ill-fated? Have you come across those things where you, you witness you know, things that you're like, oh, man, I wish, you know, you shouldn't be doing that or just kind of mistakes that you think you could be avoided. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if it it's a m mistake or, um, but one thing I do see a lot is um, even asking the question, should I have a Chinese partner, a uh -huh. strong co-founder? Right. Uh, because if you are... Tell, uh, targeting the Chinese market, then I, I think it, uh, you you do need a strong partner, right? Someone you can trust because there are just so many different layers and things to starting up starting a business here. Mm. Everything from you know the legal side of registering a business to how do you pay Chinese employees to renting office space to Small things like getting internet. Uh, if you are not very fluent in the language, and if you haven't been here for a few years and kind of have navigated your your way through it, mm -hmm. um, you know definitely. And then it's not easy to to find sure. <laughs> a partner, right? Yeah. But definitely get plugged in uh, with the local startup community, or you know try to get a co-working space that's very Chinese and mm -hmm. be able to help you with a lot of these things. Okay. And uh, another thing, I'm noticing less now, but definitely a few years ago, it would be um, foreign entrepreneurs who, uh, who want to sort of take an American startup idea and try it here. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like a few years ago, uh, maybe that had higher chance of uh, a little bit higher chance of success because uh, the 
the startup community here was more sort of not as plugged in with what's happening in the Silicon Valley as they are now. Right, right. So as a foreigner, you still have the chance of, uh, you know, some of the earliest Tuangou um, Groupon like sites in China right. were started by foreigners, yeah. but then um, you know quickly Chinese people uh, sort of copied the idea as well. Um, it really, it really seems if you're going to be a foreign uh, tech entrepreneur in in China, you really you got to be pretty damn good because there's so many domestic you know Chinese that are in this market and that are trying to innovate and do new things and do them well and you know they understand the culture and the language and all those things so much better than you do. You know, you it, it you really have to have your 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 stuff together, right, to mm. to compete in that market. Yeah. So I would, yeah, probably say just uh, overestimate <laughs> the amount of difficulty <laughs> and obstacle be. because I I have um, you know talked to m- many people uh, foreigners in China and they say, well, it's amazing just the entrepreneurial energy it yeah, is out it here is. and uh, you know. I've heard people say it just seems like the uh, it's so it's in low blood. risk. Yeah, it's it makes me makes you feel it's so low risk to start a business here. It's, in some way, I guess it's true, right? When everyone or a lot of people are doing it, it sort of makes you feel, hey, what the heck? Let well, me yeah, try that's as well. True. That's yeah. A good point. yeah, but never, on the other hand, I yeah, I also feel because of that, it's so competitive, right, and right. and there are just so many. Things that you're not familiar with, so yeah, um, overestimate the amount of uh, problems you're you're going to run our, into. Our very first guest, Alex Duncan from Kwo. I'm not I'm not mm. sure if you're familiar with them, but that was his advice. He said, you know, his boss always used to tell him, you know, whatever you think you need to do to get whatever job done, do twice as amount, uh, two times the amount of that. You yeah, know, work twice as hard, work twice as long, do twice the amount of work because that's probably what it's going to realistically take to get it done. And double check everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what about last question before I let you go, Jenny? What about to the, you know the, your Chinese counterpart? You know, a local Chinese person who's interested in uh, tech and startups and making a difference and 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 getting involved in an entrepreneurial capacity somehow. What kind of advice would you give them? You know, they're just starting out. You you've kind of you have both perspectives, and you've got a lot of experience, and very and have been very successful. So, what what would you say to them? Well, with the Chinese side, um, I've uh, I've seen friends who, because there's so much money in China <laughs> yeah. to invest in things. So, I sometimes I feel like people's maybe it's true in the states in some ways they're whole objective even before starting a business is get an exit strategy (laughs) and i'm not sure i i know in my personal experience if i had seen things that way um you know i probably your approach would have been very different yeah exactly you may not have been successful right and i yeah so just i think to do something you truly care about Mm -hmm. it's so important if you have to because an entrepreneurial life it's it's a different lifestyle. Right. You are, your work is such a big part of you. You're going to pour your heart, sweat, and tears into it. Right. And if your motivation is um, to get a payday, an ex- exit strategy before you even start 
started at anything, I, yeah, uh, you probably, <laughs> that, that's not going to pull you through. <laughs> right. It's like, it, it almost seems like that's not a strong enough motivation to keep you going through the low points and, mm. you know, wake up earlier, whatever it is. And also just 90% percent of startups sadly fail. Right, right. right. And, the ones that you do see. Is that it? Only 90%? Made, I thought it was higher. Oh, uh, maybe it is <laughs> higher. <laughs> and the, But we only hear, you know, the ones the that do make stories. it, right? Sure. And then makes you feel like, you know, there is a payday. A we we talked about this strategy. before on the podcast, but if you keep up with the, the tech media, right? Every, every week you're hearing about new financing rounds and so-and-so got mm. acquired by so-and-so. And you think like, oh, wow, I really want to get into that. They got $50 million for their yeah. Series A or they got, you know... Two two billion for Oculus Rift, all this kind of stuff, and but like you said, you don't you don't hear those stories where people fought long and hard for a long long exactly. time and yeah. unfortunately didn't work out. But yeah. what's so great about the community is that even in those cases, people are willing to support each other to get mm, back up on definitely. the horse, give it another try, whatever their their industry is. Meet you know connect with some new people that maybe is a better team or, or whatever whatever it is. You know yeah. it's really and again we've we talked about this before, but it's really one of those communities that fosters. Uh, attempts and 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 doesn't look upon failure as mm. being a, a totally negative thing. You know, yeah. it's kind of like a, a part of the process. Yes, and thank you for being a very big part of that. Well, <laughs> thank you yeah. for the this wonderful podcast. We're Gregory. just getting going here, but that's certainly that's certainly the intent of the show. You know, bring bring great people and experienced people like yourself on and have a chat and uh, you know see what your experiences were like and see if the people that are out there listening can't gain from uh, some of the mistakes but also some mm. of the, the motivations that have guided you. Sure. So on that, Jenny, I, I think we'll, we'll end the show. Thank you very much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Uh, where can people get a hold of either you or Open Language or Chinese Pod if they want to connect with you guys? Uh, if you're interested in learning Chinese, Chinese Pod is the best place to go, I promise you. I so back that just, up. Yeah, ChinesePod.com. And then if you're interested in learning um, other languages, English, Spanish, well, a whole list of them, OpenLanguage.com. Mm -hmm. And I also, I blog at JennyDrew.com, um, and I also do a weekly free podcast uh, that talks about what's current and what Chinese people are talking about. It's called Important Chinese Things with Jenny Drew. I was listening to a couple earlier. They're really interesting. Yeah, <laughs> so definitely it. check those out. And what about uh, Chinese social media? Do you have for our our Chinese, you know, our followers that have those uh, social uh, media sure, accounts? Sure, sure. Do you have those? Uh, so... Weibo, I have to admit, if, if after Weixing, have I haven't updated my Weibo in six months. So many people but, are like that. Yeah, but I'm uh, active on uh, Weixing. Yeah, just find me um, at Jenny Zhuqi. So J-E-N-N-Y-Z-H-U-Q-I. Awesome. And everybody, we can you can find us on iTunes, uh, Tech in Shanghai, um, or on Twitter at Tech in Shanghai. We haven't tackled the Chinese social media thing yet but we will get step on by that step. Yeah, yeah exactly step and by step and our uh, our website's going to be coming down uh, probably next oh, week nice. sometime yeah. yeah if you like the show um don't forget to leave comments and tell other people about it because exactly. that's how that's how um, we get the community together exactly. and uh, get everything growing jenny thank you very much for coming on today and uh, everyone we'll see you next time thank you Cheers. bye bye, -bye. Thanks for listening to the Tech in Shanghai podcast. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Tech in Shanghai for everything tech from Shanghai and China. See you next time.